All right, go ahead, open up your Bibles to Psalm 133. We are in the uh, last couple weeks of a series we have been going through this fall over a portion of the Psalms together. And so here we are, Psalm 133 this morning, a short Psalm, three verses, and yet one whose message could not be more pertinent for us today. If you, someone who calls yourself a Christian, or maybe you don't call yourself a Christian, and are thinking about looking, asking for answers to the disunity that we see in our community and also in our church, then you've come to no better place than this passage this morning. So read with me Psalm 133. Follow along as I read for us. A song of ascents of David. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. On every piece of U.S. currency, you'll find this phrase somewhere on there, e pluribus humum. Probably heard it before. Out of many, one. Is a fond idea, one we could probably all agree right now, we feel further from that reality, perhaps then any other time, at least in in any of our memories right now. The election this past couple weeks didn't tell us something we already didn't know. The seeds for the disunity in our culture and our society had been sown a long time ago. As a country, as neighbors, as family members, uh, we are polarized, we are divided, and a lot of us are exhausted by it. Now, if we're being honest, what we should print on our money right now isn't out of many one, but out of one, many. Divided people figuring out how do we coexist together right now. If you, excuse me, listen to our president-elect's speech a couple weeks ago, he promised one of his highest priorities when he gets into office will be unifying our divided country. It's something that I think we should all sincerely pray that he is able to do. But any talk of unity right now with the tangled up mess that we're in immediately brings questions. How? How is that going to happen? Who? Who will be the people to sacrifice, to step aside the divide, step across the divides, the people on the other side? And yet there's one question that we need to ask before all of them, one that all of them is hanging on. Where? Where is their actual unity in our world right now? A unity not based on hate or indifference, but one based on love. Psalm 133's answer to that may surprise you. Uh, Psalm 133 says that the place in our world where you can find true unity 
is in the Christian church. Now, some of you may immediately be thinking, no, 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 that, there's no way that can be true. I don't buy that at all. Religion has caused so much disunity and division in our world, that makes zero sense to me whatsoever. And it may surprise you to hear me say, I actually don't entirely disagree with you. You look at the big religions in our world, especially the big three, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, they, they have created incredible amounts of division and disunity wherever they've gone. Psalm 133, though, is talking about something different, something unique. No other people, no other, other religion, no other state has ever been able to manage before. Psalm 133 is celebrating the achievement of men and women from all different walks of life, all different political leanings, red, blue, and everything in between, all united together under Jesus Christ. And if you're here a Christian, if you're a Christian here today, the stakes on this celebration of unity, Psalm 133 is talking about, could not be higher in your life right now. Jesus, before he died, told his disciples, the world will know me through how you live together in unity. Translation, what your neighbor most needs right now is you living in unity with other men and women here at Cross Point. So if you're a Christian this morning, is your life a celebration of unity? Three questions that I want to ask of this text that I think will help us all, whether you're a Christian or not, join in this celebration of unity under Jesus Christ. What is this unity? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? All right, so what it is, why we need it, how we get it. So first, what is this uniquely Christian unity that Psalm 133 is talking about? Uh, well, as I said, this psalm, it's uh, a celebration, not a dissertation on unity. So it, it doesn't try to give us all the little details on it. But in verses 2 and 3, we get enough information to get the idea of what it's talking about. It is like, and it is like. Start verses two and three. And they give us two pictures from two seemingly uh, very odd, strange objects, oil and dew, that are actually ripe with meaning to describe this uniquely Christian unity that Psalm 133 is talking about. It is like, says verse two, this unity, precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down onto the collar of his robe. The oil that it's uh, talking about here is a, a special oil uh, that was used in the Old Testament to anoint and then set apart priests for their work. It was uh, about a gallon of olive oil, and then it had cinnamon, some other spices in it, made it very fragrant, sweet-smelling. Uh, but when the high priest, like Aaron here is talking about, uh, would be set apart, they wouldn't just dab a little bit and anoint it on his head, they would actually pour the oil 
onto his head, and it would run down. A high priest had a very long beard. It would run down onto his beard and onto the collar of his shirt. Unity, says David, is like a fragrant oil. And it's also like a fresh dew. Verse 3 says, It is as if, this unity, the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Now, Hermon and Zion were two uh, very different mountains in ancient Israel. Hermon was in northern rural Israel, tallest mountain in Israel. It was known for its very heavy dew uh, that made it lush and green all year round, even during a dry season when other mountains couldn't grow anything. Zion, though, was in southern cosmopolitan Israel. It was a quarter the height of Hermon. And yearly would go through stretches, dry seasons where nothing could grow on it. Oil and dew. This is what David says unity is like. Inspired yet? Ready to join hands across America? A little confusing. To understand it, you've got to see how these two pictures actually come together to form one central idea, and that is this. This is what it's telling us. Christian unity is a diversity that delights and revives one another. All right? It's a diversity. It's not a monolith. The, the fragrant oil on Aaron's head didn't just come down on one part of him. No, it, it touches his head, his beard, his shirt, a diversity of things. And the dew that came down from Hermon, didn't just stay on Hermon, but also fell on Zion too. Two polar opposite mountains, polar opposite parts of the country. Christian unity is a diversity of people from different walks of life, different experiences, different opinions, who all come together to be one. I mean, just look at some of the people that Jesus Christ in the New Testament called to be his disciples. Peter? St. Peter, he was a zealot, meaning that he was a part of a violent, anti-Roman government uh, group, insurrection group. Matthew was a tax collector, meaning that he was a Jewish person who worked for Rome, collecting all their tax monies and whatever he could skim off the top as well from all of his neighbors. Jesus calls together, think about this. Jesus calls together an Antifa rioter and a big business capitalist, neither of whom, when you read through the Gospels, do we get any record of them changing their views at all and makes them one. Here's what that means. Christian unity is a diversity. If you're a Christian here today, you should have more in common with a fellow Christian who voted differently than you a couple weeks ago than with someone who's not a Christian but who voted the same as you. Now, the reason this diversity of people can actually live together is because this unity is one where they delight in and revive one another. Right? This Christian unity is one where we delight in each other. The oil that ran down Aaron's beard, it was this fragrant, sweet-smelling oil. It was one that made you want more of it. It was this special recipe that no one could copy 
and yet smelled incredibly delightful. Christian unity is a diversity that delights. Meaning that we should be in unity with fellow Christians here as Crosspoint. We should actually be drawn into people and want more of them. People who maybe vote differently than us, mask differently than us, think about issues of race and politics differently than us, we should still, at the end of the day, want more of that person in our life, not less of them. You know, you want to know the most powerful witness our church can have in Winter Park, surrounding communities right now? It's to be a church where people who voted for Trump, people who voted for Biden, people who didn't vote at all live together, not just peacefully, anybody can frankly do that, but delight in each other, love each other. Be that in Winter Park, people would be dumbfounded right now. Christian unity is a diversity that delights and also revives one another. Mount Zion, which talks about verse 3, like I said, would yearly go through these uh, dry spells where nothing could grow on it. And so David says unity is like the refreshing dew of Hermon falling on a dry and barren Zion. It revives you when you're in unity with other Christians. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor, theologian last century, Nazi resistor, uh, says one of the reasons that Christians need to live in unity with one another is, as he puts it, the Christ... And another Christian's, uh, or sorry, the Christ in my own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of another Christian. Meaning that on my own, on your own, we are all fickle. We easily want to brush aside the sin in our life and at the same time forget God's grace. And so what we need is to live in unity so that God can speak through other Christians his love in a way to revive us in ways so much stronger than you or me could ever do on our own. So this is what Psalm 133 says Christian unity is. It's a diversity of people brought together who delight in and revive one another. So what it is, second then, why do we need it? Uh, I started to kind of touch on it already, but this psalm, this uh, celebration of unity, doesn't just describe Christian unity, but it tells us its benefits as well. Verse 1 tells us we need unity because it brings us joy. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. What this verse is saying is that Christian unity has a rare combination of two things that oftentimes don't go together, goodness and pleasure. All right, some things are good for you, but not very pleasant. When I was in middle school, my football career ended after six weeks when my left shin was snapped clean in half. The thing was bent like a coat hanger. And to get, when I got to the hospital, in order for them to operate, 
to uh, put rods in my leg so it would grow back properly, they had to reset my leg. That was at a 90-degree angle while I was still conscious, okay? Very good for me, not very pleasant. On the other hand, some things are very pleasant but not very good for us. One of my favorite home delicacies to do from time to time is to batter and deep fry Snickers bars, big ones, not the little ones. Very pleasant, not very good for you. Psalm 133 is saying, Christian unity has a rare combination of both of those. It is both good and pleasant for us. Now, I think conceptually, we would probably all agree, even if you're not a Christian, that yes, there, there is joy when we live in unity with other people. But uh, practically, though, uh, real life, uh, when we're next to real people who don't really see eye to eye with us on other things, gets a little bit more cloudy. Unity, if we're being honest, doesn't feel like a joy. Uh, it feels like a headache. The other day... Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was, uh, my wife and I were scrolling through Facebook, came across some old friends of ours, and uh, they were posting on Facebook some rather strong political views on some things, some things that I didn't agree with necessarily, and they, they were being very adamant about it. They were down in the comment section, arguing back and forth with people, and here's what I thought. First, I was a little surprised, and then I thought, eesh. I'm kind of glad I'm not their pastor right now. Because that seems like just one giant headache to try and untangle. You know, we used to be friends. We used, and these are Christian people. We used to be friends. Apparently, though, we're on different planets right now. The thought being near these people again, trying to live in unity, to me, didn't seem like a joy. It just seemed like one giant headache. And so I thought, you know what, maybe it's better that we don't live near each other anymore, don't go to the same church anymore. Mirzlov Wolf, who's a Croatian theologian, teaches at Yale, would say, this is what I've done in that moment. I have removed them, my friends, from the community of humanity, while I've also removed myself from the community of sinner. So what about someone who's not an old friend, who's, you know, pictures you come across sometimes on Facebook? What about someone who's here with you today? I mean, the truth is, unity is hard. It doesn't come natural to us. Instead, here's the natural impulse in us. To distance ourselves from people who aren't like us, form caricatures of them in our mind, and then think we're superior than them. Remove them from the community of humanity. Remove ourselves from the community of sinner. It might not be openly divisive, though. In fact, I would probably venture to guess here in Winter Park, where we're a very peaceable community, Here's maybe what it would probably more looks like. There's somebody at Crosspoint who over the last six to seven months, when you take one of the many divisive topics in our issue, you found out through just this or that, that they see things differently than you. And you don't actively create this argumentative 
disruptive disunity. Instead, what you do is you begin to passively remove yourself from that person slowly over time. You stop texting them, you stop commenting on their Instagram pictures, uh, you stop asking them on Sundays how you're doing, you stop praying for them. And David says when we do that, when we live this polite disunity, we're missing out on so much joy. There's a headache in maintaining unity. No doubt about that. The Bible is not at all naive to that. There's an overriding joy. So we need this unity because it's our joy and because it's God's blessing. The end of verse 3 says, For there, there being where God's people are living together in unity, the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Verse 3 is telling us the gift that true Christian unity is. It's saying we're God's people. Live together in unity. He bestows, he commands his blessing. And the blessing is this, life. The fullest enjoyment of God's presence forevermore. Christian unity is a gift. You know, the first century church placed unity as one of their highest values because they, they were a minority. They were attacked on every side they were on. And so they, they needed each other, regardless of some of the things they disagreed on. They were a gift to one another. I'm afraid that the church in America today, which despite its decline still holds more prominence than any other Western country, I'm afraid that between our prominence and our proneness to replace our faith with our political leanings, that we have grown comfortable tolerating a certain level of disunity in our churches that people in other parts of the world wouldn't even think possible. And when we do that, it's, it's not only robbing us of God's blessing, but the world. As I said before, Jesus, before he died, told us, your neighbor will know me through how you live in unity with other Christians. So what is Christian unity? It's a diversity that delights and revives. Second, why do we need it though? Because... It's our joy and God's blessing for the church and for the world. Lastly then, how do we get this unity? It's the million dollar question. Uh, the unity Psalm 133 is celebrating. Countless people throughout history, countless cultures, states have, have tried in their own way, well-meaning ways at times, to achieve this unity. Never done it though. Uh, for example, here's two common examples. In traditional cultures, uh, like in uh, parts of Asia, uh, United States, in parts of our history, uh, we've tried to achieve unity through morality. We think what's going to unite us is our shared morals, these written or unwritten codes, social, religious. Uh, but here's what happens. 
over time, these codes come to form either pride, because if I morally outperform you, I have a more honorable place in the community than you do, hypocrisy, because there's so much pressure on this, no one can risk any knowledge of a breach of the codes in their own life, and then shame meaning any sense of unity that is forged, is one that's often driven by pride and fear. But modern cultures, uh, like in America, us today, we try to achieve unity through a common identity. All right, so pre-modern cultures, it was kings and queens who ruled. Today, though, in America, it is the rule of the people, by the people, for the people. In order for this to work, we need a new common identity for us, the people, free, self-creating individuals to unite around, one that is theoretically inclusive enough to involve anybody, but also optimized for an economically prosperous life. to, To quote one political philosopher, what we really have isn't a market economy, but a market society. To be a successful person in America, you need to figure out how to assimilate yourself into this new modern identity or get left in the dust. This isn't a partisan thing, right, left? Everybody will believe that if you're not a successful person in America today, in our market-defined understanding of what it means to be the people, a person, they say you only have yourself to blame. To quote one, you know, former president, you you will earn as much as you learn. That's what we hear today. And if you're not earning a lot, it's your fault. Meaning any sense of unity that we try to forge through this idea ultimately leads, in one sense, to incredible arrogancy, which is what brought about the populist movements here in the U.S. and in the U.K. across the world, an incredible amount of arrogance on the people who so-called made it, and then an incredible amount of humiliation for the people who supposedly didn't make it, meaning all it does is just create disunity in the end. No one has managed to achieve the unity Psalm 133 is celebrating. So how do we get it? Verses 2 and 3 bring us the breakthrough. Unfortunately, uh, modern translations lose it some, but repeated three times in these verses, the Hebrew word yarad means descends. Christian unity is like oil that descends down Aaron's beard, descends onto his collar, descends onto Mount Zion, descends, descends, descends. That's what unity, that's how we get unity. Unity, in other words, is something that runs downhill. It's something that comes from above down onto us, meaning that true Christian unity isn't the achievement of man, but the gift of God that he freely gives to us through his son, Jesus Christ. In John 17, Jesus, before he died, prayed to God that God would make Christians after he's gone one. Just as Christians are one with Christ. This 
oneness with Jesus Christ is what theologians call union with Christ. Through this union, whereby grace through faith, Christ is in you and you are in him, you receive every spiritual blessing that God has promised to you. It is a real, organic union with Jesus Christ where you and I share in all the benefits of his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and eventual return. It's built on the plans of God that were hidden for ages but now been revealed in Jesus Christ. It's formed through the Holy Spirit himself living inside of you, and it becomes the lifeblood of every believer as a bond between you and Jesus Christ that can't be broken. Because to make you one with himself, Jesus Christ placed himself in the community of sinners. Dying on the cross for the self-righteousness and self-protection and self-justification in my own heart and in all of our hearts that creates disunity. Losing in that moment any sense of oneness that he had with his Father also that you could be one with him. Someone who, though different than him, he refused to distance himself from, became near you, and doesn't look at you through a caricature or snide superiority, but looks at you and says, you are my joy my blessing, my body. And it's from this union with Christ that descends, that runs downhill, that our unity as a church comes. You know, St. Paul in uh, Ephesians 4 and 5 tells us our, our unity isn't based on music or style of Sunday morning, on age or stage, on politics or race, but it's on Christ himself. That as we become members of Christ's body, we also become members of each other. We belong to each other. This is the profound aspect of Christian unity. We don't create it. We simply nurture what God's given us. That's why when there's disunity in the churches, Paul doesn't come in as a unity strategist with three steps on how they can forge new unity. No, instead he urges them to reflect on the message of Christianity through which they've already become one, through God's love. To reflect on Jesus, who died to bring them together. And this is why the New Testament is so urgent on us maintaining unity. Because to deny it is to throw Jesus' blood back at him. 1 John 4.20 says, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. And yet in the logic of John's verse, we see that it's the love of God. A love that has the power to forgive our disunity, it's that love that draws us together in unity under the one Jesus Christ, who while on earth prayed that we would be one, on his cross died to tear down the walls that made us many, in his resurrection rose as the head of a new people, and in his ascension lifted up his hands 
to bless his church with the spirit that brings together Christians, red or blue, Republican or Democrat, all until, as Revelation 7 tells us, people from every tribe and tongue and nation will gather around Jesus Christ where history ends in a celebration of the unity of grace that runs downhill. Where do we find this unity? To overcome the disunity inside of us. It's here in the gospel. We're forged through the dying love of God in Christ. We truly come to see, out of many, one. Thanks be to Christ. Bow your heads. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you died to make Christians one. Holy Spirit, help us to join the celebration of this unity for the sake of our church and for the sake of our neighbors. Amen.